You know, whenever uh, back in, I guess, 07, 06, 07, you know, the whole economy crashed, all that, finances went down, and um, my mom passed. The same week we celebrated our sixth anniversary, we had Jesse Duplantis here, we had Bill uh, Winston here, two great men of God chairs. We had to rent chairs, the whole room was full of both services. Just a powerful time of faith. That was the last, the Jesse Duplantis was the last service my mother was in, sitting right over there about where Steph and Amar, uh, before she went to be with the Lord, within about three or four weeks after that. <clears throat> but immediately when they came and God said, release faith at another level in the city, and they came in and it was so powerful, my mother passed away. I had a high-level staff person try to destroy us that God just showed up and showed out on that person. <clears throat> and uh, had uh, our finances drop 30 to 35% overnight that month. I mean, it, you know, when you're, you're, you know, you're in a new ministry building and you got a 40, at that time, a $48,000 a month payment. <laughs> Thank God it's not that now, but it was. And you don't have anybody but God and you and the people with you. We didn't have, you know, a denomination to bail us out or nothing like that. With all that pressure and stress and the betrayal and then some key families that I love very much were deceived and left. And it's just a, a really down, down time for me and for Steph, as that goes. <clears throat> Should have been the greatest time of celebration. But, you know, we choose whether we suffer or not. And I was choosing to suffer. How do I choose to suffer? I choose to suffer by focusing on what's broken or missing, what's lacking, what's not happening. And when you begin to focus on that and you begin to give other people their opinions, their influence over your life to the point that you feel you can't get through, break through, push through, that's suffering. So what I want you to realize, no matter where you are in your life, <clears throat> you can choose to walk in blessing or suffering. Suffering is a choice. There isn't anything that we don't go through that God doesn't know about. There's not anything that we go through that, that God is not available to us. But sometimes, you know, he seems so distant. It could be because of the way we're approaching God, not in faith, but in fear. Or it could be the fact of, of he's wanting to hold back to let you walk a few steps on your own to get a little stronger. In those marked moments when they seem like the worst thing that could happen ended up being a good thing that happened. Now, I don't want to go through it again, <laughs> but I didn't realize how much pride I was walking in and, you know, false self-esteem that I was walking in because when everything, you're going about seven, eight years and everything hits a grand slam, it's not a home run. It's like, just say it and it happens, you know, just speak it and it happens. Now, all of a sudden, it's out of your control and it's going the opposite direction <clears throat> and you're just hanging on. And I'm like, God, are you going to make Steph and I a fool? What? I was really, didn't realize that I was offended with God. And I, the way you, how do I get offended with God? It determines the themes you carry in your life. What's a theme? A theme is the character of a story. And the story you build in your heart and your mind has themes within it, weaved within it. And what happens is, in those stories, in those wings, then we end up believing that story because we've reinforced it with what's broken, what's missing, what's lacking, what's not happened yet, 
what should have happened, could have happened, would have happened, or where could I be, or whatever. And, and those themes just wear us down to the point that it distances us from God. God will never leave us or forsake us, but it's us through our own perception of him. Your perception is your reality. And as we perceive God to be away, to be separate, to, to, to not be concerned about us, it's easy. Even a minister at that time of 21 years preaching the gospel, even at that time, it took a few years, but it finally wore me down. And, and you know, sometimes you're like, well, Lord, this is first a lesson. Let me learn it. I don't want to do this again. But it, we were being attacked physically on our family, financially, spiritually in the house. It was crazy. Personal finances. I remember one month, uh, I had this beautiful big infinity uh, SUV. I loved that thing. It was the sport version of FX45. And I had to sell it that day to pay the church payment. Now, you got to realize, this is not our church. This is non-for-profit. In other words, I sold it. <laughs> And but the problem is I didn't sew it out of faith. I sewed it out of fear, and I went and released another car. Took the car that was almost totally paid off, and but it was enough to pay the church payment that month. It was that kind of time. Those oh Lord, will we have electric on for church Sunday morning? <laughs> many Friday, many many last days, of, last business days of the month. I don't know dozens and dozens over. Three years probably wasn't his staff. We're scraping every penny we can to make sure that we can pay the church payment. Driving downtown, how embarrassing, going up to the headquarters of the bank, waiting for our check. He wasn't waiting on no little check. He was waiting on a big check. But God. But God. I am not the man I would have been, but I'm a better man than I would have been because of marked mark moments are not just positive. Marked moments are transition periods. When you get a revelation, when you're marked by God, a divine encounter with God, it sets you up to transition from something to something, out of something, into something. And life is all about momentum, just like business or ministry or your spiritual walk. We build, as we build momentum, Momentum's what carries us when we're using less energy. I have a bicycle story that was different than yours, David. Uh, when I was uh, in six, going into my sixth grade year, my mother had married my stepfather, who I loved very much. We only had him a few years before he was killed in a mining accident. You know, my other father, my, my father, I never knew he died when I was three months old, cancer. <clears throat> but my stepfather was just an amazing man. I loved him so much. And he was a man of principle and honor and that kind of thing. And I'd been just telling mom, man, I'm tired of this banana bike. I, I want a 10-speed. That's when 10-speeds, if you're older like us, you know, that was the thing. Man, if you could get a 10-speed, right? And I'd been saving and saving, and then he went on, and, uh, and I had just about enough, but I'd probably been another three or four weeks out to buy it. And, and so what, what happened was I was at baseball practice, Little League baseball practice, and then me and didn't have a ride come quick enough, so me and two buddies, their mom's supposed to pick us up. And it's in this field, and this old broke-down tractor with weeds growing out of it. Well, we just started taking rocks and target practice, and that thing had never moved since I went to that baseball field. And we're breaking stuff and just messing around. It just looked like junk sitting over there. Well, a few days later, this old guy named Newt come driving through the trailer court looking for them, that Dalton boy and those other boys, those uh, hill boys. And blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know, we're sitting in front of the judge, 
which thank God I knew mom knew the judge real well, Ray Fields, great guy, sheriff, because she ran a restaurant. We lived in the back of it. And my mom said, you better not say a word. You just go ahead and be quiet. And we're in Arvo Newt and all that. I mean, it's probably $60 worth of damage on that old thing, you know. If it, I don't even think it ran. But my stepfather said, you tell the truth, son. You, we're coming in there with you. And, and Ray scared, you know, the you-know-what out of me, which he, it was good that he did that, me going into sixth grade, and put a little fear in me of what could happen. And Then on the way home, my dad said, well, son, I got some good news and some bad news. I was like, hey, yeah, what else, you know? He said, well, said, uh, you needed a little more money to order that 10-speed from Montgomery and Ward, that, that gold and black one. I said, oh, yeah, Dad. He said, well, it's in the back of my car in the trunk, and you're going you're to get it out for at least a month, and we'll see how you're doing. I'm like, a month? This is summer. School just let out. A month. Well, this thing I've been working for six months trying to save money and buy on my own, and it, but it was a marked moment to let me see his standard. And there are so many times in that few years he was with us that he just marked me to be truthful, to be a man, you know, to, to love, to care, to protect, to be a man. And, but it was my marked moment, David, in that aspect because I'd never had a father. I never had a man in the house. I didn't, my mom wouldn't even bring people she dated around us hardly ever. So he would, was the first man really living in our house for a number of years. And, and it was just time after time I had marked moments with him. And... Um, you know, as we look at life, but it ended up being a good thing instead of a bad thing, right? It taught me how to be patient a little more. It taught me to, to be focused on the good stuff and not get distracted with the bad stuff. Now, I carry that into our marked moments, our divine encounters with God that we have and that we experience. And there's just been things that I've seen our family go through that, especially my dad, when he was killed in coal mines, it was eight months before they could get his body out. They shut the mines down for eight. I was in eighth grade. And uh, he was in the body, Scotia Mine Disaster, Federal Mine, Inspe- Federal Mine and Rescue was what he was doing at that time. And, and then blew up and killed 15 men. And then they kept taking the inspectors and volunteers in to find out what caused it and get the bodies out. And they were at a shaft getting ready to go up. Underground is like so many thousand feet, a shaft down, and then you would get on a train trolley and ride to the section. They were finishing their shift, and they were at the foot of the, where the elevator was getting ready to open and it blew up again and killed him and 10 other men. So 11, that made 26, the largest disaster that had been up to that time. And um, it, it was tough. You know, he and I, he liked to teach me how to fish and stuff. And so he said, you get it, go out and get our bait. This is Friday morning when it, the explosion happened Thursday early morning or whatever. Saturday we were going fishing. I had all my night crawlers and chubs and everything all under the house ready to go. And then I get that word, knock on the door, that, hey, been a bad explosion, Ruby, to mom. And my uncle, who was like a, a dad, and his son came over and uh, took mom up to the coal mines. She sat up there two or three days, and they finally just gave up and just said, we don't know when we can get them out. But that's a marked moment. So when you have low marked moments, you say, man, I got through that marked moment, Right? and something else happens, persistence in your life, it builds muscle, it builds strength, emotional muscle and strength. But whenever we don't have the proper perception, we lose muscle and strength. And in this journey coming into the spiritual thing in this church, 
Whenever all that happened, I just got, I, I didn't know what depression, depression was. I'd never been depressed. It's just not my personality anyway. But Steph said, sweetheart, said, I know there, it's just something's not right. I know, I know you're pushing through. I know you're, you're still grieving your mom, grieving like what could be. We're over here believing every week for an offering just to keep the staff and keep the doors open and, and all that and the building. And she said, but all you do is come home go to work, come home, you don't golf, you don't do anything anymore. And, and I was just, I mean, when I was with her, I'd just be myself. I was just down. This wasn't just for a year. This got progressively worse over probably two and a half year period, babe, didn't it? And finally she said, well, and you've heard me talk about this guy, John, Dr. John Walker. And she said, I got some information somewhere I think you need to go. And, um, and I agreed too, because I'd already been out going in the woods, I've been fasting, I've been praying, I've been going on personal retreats, I've been doing all this stuff, it helped me a little bit, but I just didn't have the key. And um, when I was flying at that time, he used, he's retired now, but he was in Colorado, and I remember coming in on the plane, and I just started bawling, which wasn't unusual for me, I'd cry all the time. And I was just bawling, and what it came over me was a strong fear, what if he can't help me? I fasted, I prayed, I've sown, I've had friends pray, minister, what if I don't get help today? What's going to happen to me? I mean, that's how defeated I was. And fortunately, when I got there, God just worked it out. Nobody else was there, but he and his wife, usually they'd have several different ministries. And we just spent a week together and it transformed me forever. And it gave me tools to make me better through whatever I face at all times. Now, what I didn't realize was I, I seemed very confident and I always was very confident, but when I got in that rut for about three years, man, I lost confidence and lost self-esteem. You know, whenever that, a lot of that was pride, but a lot of it was good, good self-esteem and good confidence, not negative. There was some of that other stuff that needed to go, but when now I don't have any of it. <laughs> I would have took the bad confidence as a matter of fact, but I didn't have that either. Um, and being a father with our two sons and being a father of people in this ministry, and in other ministries and churches we planted, you know, I just felt like, man, I'm letting God down. I'm letting the people that love me down. I'm, I'm letting myself and my family down. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things I discovered, and he began to walk me through are themes in our life. And I'm going to hit 11 themes that can bring destruction if we don't correct them. But before I do, I want to give you the revelation that really was the cornerstone so these 11 themes could work in my life. And, uh, and it's really coming to the point where he is good, good father. And I love the definition that David gave of Abba. It means dada or daddy. It's really Ab, and then you go Abba. It's dada or papa and the other things that he was talking about. And today the theme of the message is gaining a healthy perspective of just how good our Heavenly Father is and how much He truly loves us. And that's what I want you to get out of this today, right? <clears throat> Many Christians, you know, unfortunately, and non-believers never understand what true agape love is. They, they never understand truly what the love of a father is uh, because maybe their father was absent or there wasn't a good relationship or something like that. Before I begin this, Trav, do you have this little video ready? I, I just want to talk to you a few minutes about the significance of all the fathers in the room and outside the room. Is that about ready, Trav, to go? 
Oh, he's in the room in the back. Check us out. Seventy-one percent of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Seventy-one percent of all pregnant teenagers. Eighty-five percent of all children with behaviour disorders. Ninety percent of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. Sixty-three percent of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Eighty-five percent of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Considering that the vast majority of prisoners come from fatherless homes, and my own father's history, I think prison is the true place to go to uncover the real gritty truth about what's wrong with the family. So when we look at those stats, that's not just kids 18 and under. Imagine how many of us are here that's grown and have kids or grandkids and we're still fatherless, right? So how are you going to navigate that? How are you going to deal with that? I mean, the stats are there. Children that don't have a father in the home, you see crazy stats of what's going on in their lives and how it affects them in every area, whether it's sexually or drugs or, you know, crime or just being doing good and passing your exams and having a good life and marriage and all that. So it's really important that we begin to understand what does it take? What does it take to truly perceive God correctly? You see, I always perceived him as Lord, as God, as King of kings and Lord of all, right? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. And all those things. And that's, and that's true. But what Jesus did, he took all those power names that you get in the Hebrew and he wraps them up into Abba, daddy, daddy. And whenever he did, he wrapped it in and he brought God to the people and to us and to Paul and to others that carried on a totally different perspective that he's more than your provider, he's more than your protector, he's more than your caretaker, he's more than your defender, he's more than all that. He's in love with you. He's crazy about you. And we sit back like, well, if I make a mistake, condemnation. Oh, God, I made a mistake. Now I'm going to get zapped. God's not looking to zap you, right? He's looking to love you and to free you and to establish you. And I really had this mindset because I felt I, I didn't realize this, but what I discovered during this time with Dr. Walker was I really, um, I really had the feeling I had to prove myself. Every time I stepped in a pulpit, every time I stepped in a meeting, Every time I stepped in a hobby, I just always felt like I had, because I was small in school, even though I played sports, and I always felt like, you know, I'd have to fire the biggest guy up in the seventh or eighth grade so they'd not mess with me because I was small. I did that a time or two. Thank God they didn't kill me, but, you know, it turned out all right. But I always felt like I had to prove that I wasn't enough, that I'm, I, even though it didn't look at my appearance and my confidence, but deep down inside. You see, really till tragedy, fear, problems hit, and when the pressure comes on you, you're going to find out what's at the root of who you are. And I'd overcome so many things, addiction and all that stuff, and man, it just got to a point where 
I really didn't have anything to prove, but I was still trying to prove every time. And I know when I came back and was so free, one of the things I'd do for years, several years, I'd just walk, and you would never think it, right? But I'd walk up and whisper under my breath, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. Because I, was, I wanted to be the best service we've ever had in every service. I wanted to be excellent. I wanted to be great. And what that does, it takes more of the equation off of God and on me and the people I put pressure on around me to make it happen. But through this transition of realizing that I am more than enough, not lacking anything in that realm. And for 21 years of preaching this gospel, I was so focused on uh, pleasing God so that he would bless us. If I please him enough, if I'm holy enough, if I work hard enough, if I preach good enough, if I lead the staff good enough, he'll bring the money. He'll, he'll bring the needs. He'll bring the right people in the church. He'll do all these things and the pressure will come off because what we're doing when we're facing the root of our issues, it, there's such pressure down deep in us that when it surfaces, all we want to do is get the burden off, right? We just want to get the burden off. We just want to get the weight off. But be of good cheer. When you come through one cycle, you're going to face another cycle and you're going to face another cycle and you're going to face another cycle. And if you don't deal with it and deal with your issues and the themes you have, in your life and rewrite those themes according to God and his word and his standard, you're never going to, you just be stuck in that, that, that cycle until it totally destroys you and destroys your relationships, destroys your families. So as I got there, you know, I was trying to earn God's love. How can you earn a God's love who loves you so much he gave his son to die for you whether you ever come home or not? And one of the scriptures that we read was so powerful to me in 1 John chapter 4, uh, a few scriptures here, verses 16 through 19, says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Why? God is love. Didn't say God is judgment, God is condemnation, God is love. Now, we're in the grace dispensation. While you're living and breathing, you have an opportunity to receive God's grace and salvation. And every day of your life, receive that grace to walk in and to go to heaven. But when you take your last breath, you left this dispensation to the next, and that's where judgment is. God's not judging you now. The judgment comes when you take your last breath, and did you walk according to what you're supposed to do? Did you give your life to Christ? Did you serve him and all those things? That's when judgment, he's given us all this grace right now, but we're acting like he's already condemned us because things are not going good in our life. Well, maybe they're not going good in our life because we're not doing good or being good. It's not that we're not good enough. That's not our identity. Our identity is sons and daughters of God. It's not that. It's, it's how we perceive God and how we perceive ourselves, right? Since wherever, uh, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So if you're fearful about anything, your children, your finances, your health, your ministry, your business, then get more love. Well, how do I get more love? I just be lovely. No, you don't get it by receive it. 
That's what gratitude is. Just receive. Just let God love on you. Just start out every morning and just take five, ten minutes. Lord, I just love you and I thank you for all you've done. I'm just going to receive now and begin to think of the great times that God's done things in your life and for your family. And before long, you'll feel that love overflowing. and You'll coach yourself in the love of God before you even leave the house. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. We choose to walk in fear. When we choose to walk in fear, we self-punish. And whenever we self-punish, we punish others around us. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Anyone that unintentionally or unintentionally consistently hurt people, they're hurt. They're broken. <clears throat> Says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect or whole or complete in love. We love, here's, here's what set me free. We love because he first loved us. And that's such a key component, guys, because all this time, you know, I just couldn't believe God would save a wretch like me. Crazy young kid like me had just turned 21. Why would he even give me another chance? And I, I just never felt worthy in my own self-conscious, not even thinking out loud, but deep in my heart, I discovered I didn't, never did feel worthy of the things that I could lay hands on people and they get healed, or I could win dozens and sometimes hundreds of people in one service to the Lord, and I could do things and give me wisdom on how to do some business, how to do, I, I just, and I'm a Christian, and I'm full of the Holy Ghost, and I got a godly wife and family, and I'm healthy, and I just, but deep inside, you know, there's that root of feeling that little boy, you know, without a daddy to feel abandoned, right? I believe that's why I was always so loyal and have been to my friends because I came up so much in my life feeling abandoned without a father, feeling empty. That's, I try to find it in my coach. I try to find it in business partners. I try to find it in ministry leaders. I was always wanting their approval and be one of the best because I needed that approval for me. And I didn't realize, I said, I'm just doing the kingdom stuff. Well, it's good, but the problem is it's the wrong motive. Because none of them, no one in your life can love you like daddy loves you. And you don't have to earn it. You just receive it. Amen. So get that in your mind, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved. So, so I was reversing that, right? We love, why? Because he first loved us. But I felt that if I could get him to love me more, then I would be able to love more. That's not the key. We love because he loves, not because I uh, manipulate him or impress him or earn it. Grace is free. It can't be bought, purchased, or earned. It's free. And whenever we begin to understand God's grace, God's power inside you, enabling you to do what you can't do for yourself, God's grace, unmerited favor, what's that mean? You didn't earn a favor. <laughs> you didn't earn it. He gave it to you. Why? Because he first loved you. So I was still in that awful cycle, you know, as a 50-year-old man, you know, been preaching 21 years. I was in that awful cycle, DJ, of trying 
to get God to love me. I'm, you know, as soon as, man, I used to drive down the road and say, oh, Steph said, well, you know, if we're going to do that, we need a $4,000 more income to, to do that for the church. I just start praying, Lord, by the end of this month, and you know what? $4,000 would start coming consistently. I mean, it's like that for years, wasn't it, Steph? But now it's not happening when I pray like that. And now I'm like, okay, I'm broken. I'm missing. Am I sinning? What am I doing? There's been times I said, honey, are you sinning and we don't know about it? I said, no. She said, I don't know when you had time to because you're just going to work at home. I said, no, are you? No. Well, okay, that's, we're good, you know. You know, because you're like, how can all hell be raking loose and you're anointed preaching and singing and winning people to the Lord and church is growing and income's going down. But then's when the heart of the matter comes into realization that when you're digging deep and, you, and all of a sudden what's deep in you is coming out, that's when you're realizing, wait a minute, something's not right here. Then the, I started creating themes in my life, themes in my life. So let me, let me jump to that, what those themes are. I, they're, they kind of go together a little bit. But uh, these are real rough. This is things I wrote out. And this was hard because I had enough fear of God that I didn't want to offend God. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want to admit that I was angry or upset with him. But until I confessed it, I couldn't get no help. <clears throat> like a, a wonderful woman of God that attended here for years, an executive said, tell the truth, and you'll get some help. Man, when she looked at you and told you, I seen her do that to people. Okay, okay, I lied. Yeah, because he's just anointed. Tell the truth and you can get some help. If you're going to lie, you're not going to get any help from God or me, right? Tell the truth and get some help. Look at your neighbor and say, tell the truth, get some help. <laughs> so when I wrote these from my heart, these 11 themes or statements that I had of my perception toward God, which are not his reality, but they're my reality. See, our goal is to walk in our identity in Christ and our goal is to walk in his reality concerning us, how he sees us, not how we see ourselves. So as I wrote these 11 themes out and I began to uh, speak them out and pray, then, God, then what I did, I, I wrote a letter from God to me answering all those themes and then every day, if it's every 15 minutes or every three hours, I do the STP. God gave me that little initial, stop, think, pray, stop, think. I don't have to confess anymore. I already confessed and repented. Now, stop, think, pray. And then it get less and less. Then it might go a year. I not even need to use it. But, it. but it's a tool that triggers things in me because it's a choice. So some of these statements, you'll go like, woo, pastor, you really messed up. So... Here's the 11 themes that I was living in. That was my reality, my perception. Number one, not trusting God to be there for me or meeting my needs. I'd gotten to the point like, God, we've moved here. We put our retirement in this church. We've given cars to pay the payment. We, what else can we do? What are you doing for me? I trusted you. Where are you at? Now, I, didn't, I wasn't brave enough to say it out loud, but in my heart, it was down in there. All wound up. You, you, I would have called you a liar if somebody had prophesied. Yeah, I say, the Lord says you don't trust God. I'd rebuke them. Honestly, I'd rebuke them. I didn't see it till the hurt got so big and the pain got so big that I had to take a deep look into my wound. And it's really like 11 wounds, not one. But you know, Ephesians 1 says this, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And I'd quote it and I'd preach it. And then he'd, then he'd read it in Hebrews 11, 5, 6 in the message. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough See, cares enough that God cares enough about me, that God cares enough about you, your situation, your health, your family, your fire, that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Now, I was seeking him, not receiving him. <laughs> seeking is not just seeking. Seeking is being open and receiving. And I wasn't a healthy receptor it's like in this room right now, all the FM, AM, XM, all this TV, all in this room, if you have the right antenna, you know, for direct TV or, or for XM radio, you can sit here and pick up all this stuff around us in the unseen world. Listen to a ball game or listen to music, whatever you want to do, or watch your favorite show. It's in here. But if you don't have the proper receiver, antenna being your heart attached to your spirit, man, if it's not healthy, you're getting bits and pieces and you feel like prayers are falling to the ground and man God if you don't love us will you just bring us here to embarrass us and let us die fools I had a great job and she did and what's up Lord is this just to set me up to let me know you know that I'm not good enough I mean I wouldn't say it out loud but in my heart because trust isn't given trust is earned and I highly I highly trusted God and had great faith until things didn't go my way for a couple years, really big things, three years or so. Then I had moved from walking in a conquering spirit to a defeated spirit. Now my spirit's perfect, it's fine. It was me, not, not my human spirit or my Holy Spirit, it was my soul, my mind, will, and emotions, my decision-making resources. And my decisions got worse and worse about the themes I built about because nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what the Bible says. Nothing can separate. If God loves you, yeah, he might let you be disciplined a little bit, but he's not the one punishing you. Uh, the second theme that I was really running in my life was feeling that God is not wooing me or drawing me to be intimate with him. That he's not calling me and drawing me to that secret place or showing up with divine moments and divine encounters. But see, God desires intimacy and is always wooing us into his presence. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Out of the message Bible, it says, this is God's message the God who made earth, made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. And that's great when you preach that and quote that, even had a vision about that, and now I'm sitting here like needing that. But my antenna was, war, it was, it was messed up. It wasn't receiving who God is and his DNA and what he'd spoken into me. I had been, see, because the Bible says that in Genesis 1 that God created us in his own image, in his own likeness, in our own likeness have we created them. So God created man and woman in his own likeness and his image. What's his image? It's imagio. It means to mirror, to reflect. You see, whenever Adam and Eve were walking in the cool day with God, and no clothes, they, they had no sin, there was no sin. 
and naming the animals and living it up. And then when they did the one thing that God told them not to do, it wasn't because he was testing them. It was because that was already on the planet and he didn't want them to fall for Satan and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They didn't know what evil was. But once Adam, and so when you see that happening, how would they even know that being naked could be a sin? And it really isn't in that sense with God. But what did they do? They hid and put palms and branches over them so they wouldn't appear to be naked in front of God. That wasn't God's perspective of them. Even though they sinned, it wasn't going to bother him. He made them, created them. What's he care if they're nude or not? What happened was that shows you how quickly separating from God and getting our perception messed up with God, how quickly we can adjust everything about our faith system. Oh, you got faith until you lose a child. Oh, you got faith till you have to face divorce. Oh, you got faith till you go bankrupt. Oh, you, you got faith till everybody's lying on you and, and hurting you. God's, the Bible says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said in the book of Numbers, I am God and I cannot lie. He's not gonna lie. So when we get these words and we, we have to rebuild our faith system because we're messed up with a theme that we're punishing ourselves with. You're punished. God doesn't even want to spend time with me. God, where I, I went off and spent two days and I barely felt you. Used to, I could walk out and get in my car and feel you. What's going on? I'm fasting more. I'm praying more. Come on, I'm giving more. And, and, and we're having less money. And God, what is it? What's up? God hadn't changed. He's still Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Still. Same yesterday and day forever. Only thing that changed was how I saw me. Mm -hmm. uh, the third theme that was really good and you notice you hear the word feeling in this right because that's what themes do they, they, they bring on feelings what is feelings feelings are kinetic energy feelings are emotions and if, I, if I'm walking around like this yeah how you doing what kind of emotion is that Come on now. Huh? Feel sorry for yourself, self-pity. Don't ever do that to me again. You understand me? What's that? Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I love this place. Thank you, Lord. What's that? Didn't every one of them just put off a certain kind of energy? Emotions are charged with kinetics and electric and molecules that go through our body. And what happens is when you keep selling yourself the wrong theme, you build a doctrine that you see yourself and God differently than you did that strips you of your ability to walk in everything he created you to be. You can get to heaven, but you're gonna have a miserable journey. <laughs> so number three, feeling, feeling that of God being distant and absent. Feeling is just absent from my life. And that's similar to the second one. I won't go into it deeply. The fourth one, feeling like I'm a servant and not a son. Actually feeling like I'm a slave. My God, Stephanie and I work 70 hours a week. We're studying, we're praying, we're raising our kids, we're honoring them, we've got them in sports, we're doing all this. We're, you know, it's a poor little pity party on me. And, 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 and I'm like, God, what? I'm a son. What's up here? So, so feeling like I'm a servant, not a son, so I don't have a desire 
to pursue him as I should. So what happens is if I feel I'm a servant or a slave instead of a son or a daughter, what happens is, well, what am I going to him for? Just to get smacked again? What am I going to him for? He, I've been to him seven straight days this week about the same thing. I haven't got one inkling of what I should do. Give me a scripture or something. You may not say it out loud, but you feel it. Why is everybody picking on me, right, Charlie Brown? It just feels like it's coming from there. Then, you know, something can happen. Your life could be great and it's a very tragic thing or, or hurtful thing or whatever. And now everything's bad, right? Everything's bad. Everything's bad. No, it's not. It will be bad if you keep living that theme out because you're writing your story. I'm skip on down because I want to read that letter to you. Number five, the fifth thing. Feeling, again, that he's not fighting or defending me. Feeling like God is not defending me. People are laughing. I'm dealing with bankers. I'm doing this. I'm doing. Come on, God. What, people out here lying about our ministry and stuff, which they got proved real quick they weren't, and things like that. And, and it's just like heartbreaking. And I'm like, where are you at, God? I'm the one dealing. Me and some of my elders in the church are dealing with these crazy people. Why don't you just do something so we got enough to deal with? Can you deal with that? I didn't say it that way, but that's what I felt. I, here's, how I, here's how I said to him, Lord, I know you're my savior, my deliverer. You know, going through a tough time, Father. I'm just releasing my faith right now and my angels to move on those people and to move on that situation. Oh, Father, please. And when I'm crying, I'm not crying because I'm, you know, touched. I'm crying because I'm PO'd. I'm angry. I'm upset. Nobody walked out of the church. That's good. First time I did that, we had people walk out of the church. That's good. That's, yeah, mature bunch here. So... But man, I, I just was so full of hurt and resentment and abandonment that I, it didn't, it's like, what's that old thing about where you take a turtle and you just put it in the warm water, but you keep turning the water up and it'll just stand there and die, right? Or a, a rabbit or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Bugs Bunny is when I remember doing it, but huh? A frog, a frog. But that frog, and before long, he'll bull and not even move, but it starts with a low, warming, comfortable temperature. Satan will let you feel comfortable in your negative themes. And then he'll just continue to turn the heat up until he has you. Is this helping anybody? See, this is like you deal with addiction, you know, and David is great at this. And so many of you in this room are just so proud of how you're handling yourselves and everything. And just so thankful you have a safe place to come to get training and loved and minister to and care for. But you know how it is when you're dealing with addiction. What do you do when something tragic happens? Somebody betrays you, hurts you, or something don't turn out. Even God didn't move. You, you, you have to fight the urge greater then than when things are not going okay, right? Because we go back to what's deep inside us to get relief. We think it's going to give us relief. We know it's not, but it's better than what I feel now. I just want to change the state I'm in. I want to change the theme or the story I'm living in right now. So... Not feeling that God is not fighting for me, that God's not defending me. And whenever uh, I was in the coal business at 28, we went broke. I was partners in two coal mines, third owner, 30% owner. But I was a young guy. There was some older, one guy really wealthy. And the office had said, you know, we'd check the books. Are you paying our taxes? Are you paying payroll? Are you paying this? Well, when the mine went under, they had a lot of that running through one of my companies. And I, as even my office manager, they got involved and when it closed, not only was it closing, I mean, I mean, our payroll was $80,000 a week, you know, back in 87, 88. And, and not counting equipment, millions of dollars of equipment, all this stuff. 
that I was in partners with. And so uh, whenever I was still preaching, you know, like youth pastor in my church, filling in for the pastor, but I was not a full-time minister, travel a little bit and preach. I remember when that all went down, God said, okay, what are you going to do? I said, well, God, I, I, I didn't go bankrupt. It's a miracle, but I didn't. But I was like, oh, God, I don't know. What do you, I'll, just, I'll just grow and go closer to you. He said, well, I want you to go full-time. I said, full-time what? I want you to go back, get trained, and go full-time to be a minister. I'm like, do you realize I owe hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, payroll taxes, employment taxes? I remember we went to this, the, the top Eastern Kentucky accountant was one of the ones I used. We drove to Ashland to meet with him, and my poor little mom went with me. And this guy said, do you understand you will never be free of this. The hundreds of thousands of dollars that's in your name and every month, tax going up, going up. You could live 300 years and never pay this off. My mom's crying. I want to hit that guy. <laughs> Son, I just want you to realize the, the brevity of this. I said, what brevity are you talking about, dude? I'm the one sitting on this side. You think I don't know the brevity of it? It just made me mad. And then God says, oh, go work for minimum wage at a church in Columbus and live with roommates and sleep on a twin bed box spring. Dummy me, I could only afford the bed or the spring. What paid attention when I threw it in the back of my pizza delivery truck when I bought it to go to school because that's all I had was a pizza delivery truck at the time left from one of my restaurants. I had a stupid box spring. I'm like, how dumb is that? that is that just the dumbest thing ever? But it's like, wasn't it, baby? And, we, and I said, well, we, we wanted to get married. One reason we waited so long to get married, I said, well, till we, we agreed to, we get these taxes under control. We can't have hundreds and hundreds of that. And I would get stuff in the mail, what not, baby? Like, okay, there's $280,000 taxes uh, owed. Oh, oh, there's a $220,000 tax payment no one's claimed from your company. My other two partners didn't want to touch it, right? You want us to apply this to it or what? I was like, apply it. Five, six months later, there's been $170,000. Uh, we found another one. So what happened is they were making some of those deposits, right? But they weren't doing it correctly. And then a lot of them, they didn't. But because it got to where I all of a sudden paid almost $400,000 off in about a year, making $8 an hour as a youth pastor. Working 50 hours a week and going to school. Well over $400,000 came in in that year and Steph and I were blown away till it got down to where, man, I just owed like 120000 And that's when I got a great attorney that's still one of our attorneys today and he negotiated, I know you can do it, down to $12,000 to be done with a half a million dollars of taxes. You know how taxes compound, right? And I borrowed it off my sister. One, I gave her one of my restaurants and she was crushing. I asked her and her husband, I said, yeah, we'll write that for you. And I paid it back within a year to them. And we got married. But, but God, so I, I was just too young and crazy enough to give up then. You know, when you're young and full of vinegar, you'll fight just to be fighting. But when you get older and you got a lot, to, I didn't have nothing to lose. This is me. <laughs> but when you got a wife or a husband, children, ministry, business, friends, kids, grand, when, the pressure is when you got stuff to, that's valuable to you, you don't want to lose. They're more important to you than you are yourself. But if you don't fight this, these battles as you're going, you won't be able to win those battles when you face them. Can anybody say amen to that? Or ouch. But here's a scripture. I remember when I'd go home and visit mom, 
I'd quote Psalm 91, the whole thing. But the first two verses, I'd walk up, down, pray in the Holy Ghost, and I'd speak it out. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord's, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. But now I'm up here with an $8 million building and a bunch of debt and a bunch of people that don't really have the means to even give to help us pay it and all the stress and betrayal. And now I've got a trust issue with God. I trusted God to get that close to half million dollars worth of tax debt off and he did in just several years while I'm obeying him and now I'm sitting here and I'm offended at God because I don't feel I can trust him. You know what that is? That's a choice. Shame on me and shame on you. If God's done so many things, especially saved you and you're still pouting at God. Well, you want me to join that outreach team, but right now I got to work overtime so I can buy me a new car or I can get my truck fixed or that's going to mess up my fishing or golf days. Can't volunteer that much. But then all hell breaks. Lord, where are you? I'll give you anything. He just wants you. He don't want your stuff. The sixth one is feeling as if God doesn't care enough for me on a daily basis. On a daily basis, just feeling like I don't, I don't measure up. I'm not, God, where are you? Romans 8, 37, I am more than a conqueror and nothing can separate me from the love of God. The seventh thing, I gotta hurry here. The seventh thing is uh, feeling like he gives me just enough of him to get the task or the job at hand done so I can do more for him. Oh, okay, go over here and build this church. Okay, Lord, okay. Go get performers together and get banks crazy enough to loan you all money and you don't have money, but they did. And Oh, I'll fill the building up and bleed for the carpet and bleed for the chairs. And Oh, okay, yeah, let's do a TV ministry. Yeah, we're doing a TV ministry. It's, you know, several hundred, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to run it on NBC and all that. Oh, oh yeah, start a Bible school. We did, yeah, do that. And then after a while, when things, it's all good when everything's going good, right? But when things go bad, you're like, my God. Then the Holy Spirit says, start Ecclesia, great school we had here for years that was so powerful me of you went through it and I'll never forget I'm like Lord how can I do one more thing I just barely have an energy to get in my car and put a smile on my face when I walk in that building I pull up in the driveway and I almost curse this property for the pain it's brought on us and then I have guest ministry my God this building I just want to slap them Look at this place, son. Who's, who's got a building like this in their late 30s? My God, in their mid-30s, you got a building like, what, how, how in the world did you? And I just want to slap them. They're, they're just complimenting me. But me, I'm thinking, dude, I go back to that little 18,000 square foot church tomorrow if God let me for about a day that I wouldn't. What happened? The things that built my faith, the positive things, now I turn them against myself saying, well, there must have been something broken in me and God just knew to set me up. Sooner or later, I'd find it. I mean, I know you don't feel like that. You're perfect. But I mean, for the sinners like me, you know, I'm not a sinner, but I do sin. I'm a child of God, not a sinner. So... Philippians 4.19, God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, in glory by heaven. So, so let me tell you this. I'll tell you this, the, the story of the business partner I had back there. So I'm lying on, I, I lost my house, 
watched them put my Corvette on a truck, my big trucks. I watched them haul everything away. I had to go back home at getting ready to turn 28. I was 27, getting ready to turn 28 and move back in my old bedroom with my mom and in my mom's house. Now, last time I was like that, I'd just come off partying and drugs and totaling and wrecking cars and all that and partying out of colleges, got saved. And that was seven years prior and boom, 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 God doing all this stuff, right? Now I'm living in this big house, got, you know, 80 some people working for me, you know, all this stuff. And at one, not counting restaurants and stuff, I was just at one place. And, and I'm, you know, I'm the dude, right? I'm, I'll just give somebody a $50 tip, $100 tip to see how they act. Didn't matter to me. I thought I'd always be rich. So I wasn't. <laughs> and I wasn't rich then. It just That was my perception of myself. And, but there was this one business guy. He was in his early 30s at the time, and he was a multimillionaire, and he'd built it from his dad's company, and he had a mining supply company, gas company, all kinds of stuff, heavy equipment, random mines. Well, he always wanted me to come work with him, and so he called me, and he'd come over, him and his son, and he sat down, what are you doing? I was just sitting on mom's couch. Oh, nothing, Orville. How you doing, man? Well, man, listen, I got some opportunities for you. Forget this stuff. I said, I said, what opportunities? He said, well, you can pick one of three things, 50% ownership, just run it. I said, what? He said, my whole mining supply company, if you'll run it, I'll give you 50% ownership. Millions of dollars of mining supplies, right? It's okay. He said, other thing is my natural gas company and my, uh, he had gas for, uh, filling up people's tanks, you know, those gas tanks, but he also filled up rest, uh, gas stations too. He had a big gas company for both kinds, natural gas and real gas. Run that, 50%. He said, if you don't want to do that, I'm getting ready to do it real fun when I'm getting ready to bring, because they were building that Yatesville Dam back there in Louisa. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna bring in a Taylor Boat franchise from California, the hottest, coolest boats, you know, we'd row them some, and, and you can run that. Pick which one you want. I just looked at him because I'd already, God had already told me what I had to do. I said, man, you're not going to believe this because he wasn't saved at the time. He said, well, what? I said, man, I love you. What an honor to, you'd even consider me, but no, nah, I can't. I, I can't do that. He said, what do you mean? I'll give you time, take six months and rest, and I'll pay you. I said, no, nah, man, I, God told me I had to go full time. Full time in what? I said, preaching. Preaching what? I said, the gospel. Norval's a tough dude, man. You know, he had a hole with his arm all scarred up where he got shot in a shotgun in a bar fight. He's a tough guy. We're always chain golds and diamonds, but he's always good to me. And he just couldn't believe it. He said, well, take a week, and I'll call you, and we'll meet. So a week later, he calls me. Meet me at such and such on the highway. He's sitting there in his big Jaguar and all that. I pull in. Anything changed? I said, I'm sorry, man. I've already registered for school. And what school? I took, well, World Harvest Bible Institute. What's that? <laughs> so anyway, I go to school, take the minimum wage job, turn all that down, mark moments, right? And so this, this will show you how bad mark moments can turn into good mark moments. <clears throat> Not for everybody, but for you. But So I'm at school, Steph and I start dating, and I don't know if you'd been home with me at that point, or was that the first time you came home? Uh, uh, it's right around that time we were dating. And, and so anyway, it's like that first year of Bible school, right? <clears throat> and um, I get a call from my mom. Honey, I just wanted you to know Orville Markham passed away. I shouldn't say his last name. Orville passed away last night. Yesterday. I said, what? 
he's 33 years old. What happened? I said, well, he flew with President Comines to Florida in one of his private planes. And, you know, normal, I'd help him learn. I was a lifeguard stuff, so I'd be at his house to try to help him swim. He was scared of water. He finally got to where he could swim a little bit. And I guess I talked to the president of mine. I knew him and at, at the viewing, and he said, uh, well, what happened was uh, one of those currents, what do you call it, the kind of riptide. And we had our young kids. We had to swim in, and he panicked and had a heart attack and died out there. Flew in on a private plane, loaded. So Steph and I walked in the funeral home together, didn't we, baby? He's laying there. But he had just given his life to the Lord. But he's laying there, and when I looked down, God said, what if you chose him to be your God? Whew. I mean, people probably think I make this stuff up. <laughs> it's crazy. But, and I'm just start crying. I'm crying because I loved him and missed him. But I'm like, what if he's your God? In other words, what if your skill is your God? You know, what, is your, what if your family is your God? What if your health is your God? What if your hobby is your God? What if your business is your God? What if your ministry is your God? He is a jealous God. He, one thing he won't put up with is anything that, that's going to come against who he is in your life. Mark moment. So I had all those Mark moments and I still find myself in depression. I had to deal with my themes. I had to rewrite my story and sometimes I still have to rewrite my story. Let me read these three real quick. I'll, I'll move on. So the eighth one is... I don't feel the same confidence in his love and peace toward me as I did when I approached mom's front door where I felt true rest and grace. And I, used to, I preached a series on Abba's front door and, and it was about my mom. Whenever my mom, you know, she's my mother and father, confidant, you know, she's amazing, loves Steph, the kids. And when she died of cancer right at that same time, it was really difficult. But I always knew I could just go sit in a chair in her house and be okay. If I could just get to mom's house, sometimes I wouldn't say hardly anything. She'd just leave me alone, watch her, watch her, what's the life show, life movies or, you know, Matt Check and all them old life stories things, you know, not soap operas, but the movie stuff, you know, feel good stuff. I just sit there and watch one of them with her and just be all right. And when she passed, I was really tore up. And we were away together and we were heading out on vacation. So after my brother and I did the funeral, we is like the July 4th period. And um, we're, we're down on a boat, her family's boat, everybody else had left. And man, I'm battling, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm upset. I held it together at the funeral, but I was upset. God healed her and then she got, made another eight or nine years and then it came back and she should have never died of that. And... Uh, so I'm like, God, I lay hands on people that get healed. I pray for people. I, I prayed for a guy that's demonic and you brought him back to life in the hospital. Atheist. My mama, you couldn't just give her 10 more years? I mean, was, I didn't say it out loud, but in my heart, that's what I was thinking. Instead, I said, hey, honey, so-and-so wants to talk to you. A, a prophetic minister. Most of you wouldn't know him now. He's not been here in a long time. I said, I don't want to talk to nobody. He said, well, he's going to hear you say that. I got the phone. I said, okay. He said, Brother Dalton, I just want you to know I had a prophetic dream. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've had a lot of prophetic dreams. <laughs> Wish you'd had one a week ago, you know. Yeah, brother, what's it? He said, well, the Lord told me the reason your mom went to be with him. I said, well, she's saved and loved God. No, he said, of course. He said, but, and this is crazy, isn't it, baby? He said, he said um, 
Lord showed me as clear as a bell that she agreed and chose to go home during this time so that you would get a greater revelation of his love and grace for you to become who you have to be to do what he needs you to do. Dude, I get hair standing up on my arm, man. And I'm like, whoo. And you got to know the backstory because mom told us at Christmas, she's still driving and she kind of bumped one of our cars when she pulled in at my sister's house. She lived in the same neighborhood at the time and puts it in park, backed up a little, put it in park, walks in, it's Christmas Eve. And mom was never this kind of person, but she said, hey, baby, I just want to tell you, to me and my baby sister, this will probably be mom's last Christmas. I said, well, where are you going? No, baby, I mean my last Christmas. I said, mom, don't talk like that. At that point, nothing was going on. You know, everything was cool. But she died that July. And uh, I remember a month before she died, because her liver had gotten messed up with the treatments, that's probably more than the cancer. And um, she called me and my baby sister and said, I'm ready to go home. Oh, mom, I mean, I know you're saying, no, I'm not taking any more treatments. I'm done being stuck and plucked and I'm 77 or something like that at the time, or 78, so I'm, I'm at the 76, getting ready to turn 77. So, you know, and I can't, so I kept your mom in my house. I kept grandma the last 10 years of her life and you all have offered to move me in with you. When I get older, I'd never move into one of my children's house. That, that doesn't mean it's for everybody, but for her, that was her stance. And she said, I never want to live in a nursing home. And when I can't drive myself to Walmart or the grocery store, I'm ready to go home. And I knew what that meant because if she didn't take that stuff, you know, platelets not within a month, she'd be gone. And sure enough, that's what she did. So all I want is all my kids in the house with me when I go to be with the Lord. And we were there. And it was, it was actually beautiful, wasn't it, baby? It was the most be- I was right there holding her hand when she passed and I felt her soul just come up out of her. And it, it, was, it was amazing. And uh, so this person didn't know that background. And she chose to go be with the Lord. You can believe it or you don't, I don't really care. But, and I believe it, that she decided it's time, I'm gonna go to the other side so my son can get a father relationship with his heavenly father. Because when I went to her house, I felt total grace, total love, no judgment, don't have to prove anything, I'm just her boy. You know, that's all God's trying to get through our heads. You don't have to prove nothing. You don't have to do nothing. Just let me love you just as you are, not as you think you should be. That's where it all come from. Love you just as you are, not as you or anyone else thinks you should be. Love you just as you are. And I came and was loved just as I am. I could have robbed a bank and she'd loved on me. And she'd kick me, but she she wouldn't run me out of her house. But with those themes going, see, they're, they're building on me here. Uh, but again, that's marked moments, right? Here's one, uh, number nine. I don't feel that I'm celebrated by God like the father of the prodigal son did. I mean, I, feel, I didn't feel like God's running toward me. I feel like he was staying away from me. You know, the prodigal son was like coming and embarrassed that his dad ran to him. But I didn't feel like God was running to me. I felt like he's running from me. <laughs> This is truth. That's what I felt. That was my reality. That was my theme. That's how you choose to suffer. When you choose to think, well, God, I'm seeking you and I can't find you. I'm knocking and I don't, you don't hear me. What do I got to do? Fast more, pray more, sow more, work more? 
till you come to the end of yourself, right? You have to come to the end of yourself before you can be filled with him. The tenth one is God is waiting to see how the Daltons respond to the obstacles rather than being here for us to help us as his children. So I was like, God, you, you got me running this crazy obstacle course. Am I a kid or not? Am I, I wouldn't let my son go through this. What's the deal? You're just seeing how the Daltons handle it. After a while, you know, you can get the badges as a Boy Scout, but you get, you're done with getting badges, right? You're tired. And that, that's just the way I felt, and I got scripture for that. Uh, then the last one, I feel like he wants me to just suck it up, push through so that I can do the next thing, get the next thing done for him. Just suck it up, push through Dalton. You know, you're a martyr, you're whatever. Just suck it up, push through because I got other stuff you get done. So get it done, get it done. So we can get to this next thing. That's what I just felt my life was, the cycle for several years. So out of that, <clears throat> What I did was, and he coached me on this, and it was so powerful, and I'm going to read it real quick, the letter. I'm going to read it without the scripture. And I called this letter Abba's Front Door. This is, you heard all the negative themes I had toward God, right? Now I want you to hear a letter I wrote from God to me. This is a letter I wrote from God to me. And then I'll read it, just a few statements, it's not a long one, and then I'll read it with scriptures. Dear Marion, I am your Abba, Daddy, and I celebrate you every day. I love you, and nothing can change my love for you. Do not be condemned. Never fear anyone or anything. Always trust in me because you have nothing to prove. My grace is sufficient for you, and all I have is yours. I'm always here for you. I have given you faith to accomplish my mission. Okay? So now I'm going to read it with each of those statements and the scripture that God gave me for it. So this is how I know it's him speaking to me. Dear Marion, I am your Abba, your daddy. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, so you will no longer be a no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And then... And I celebrate you every day from Luke's gospel. For this son of mine, Marion, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And then the statement, I love you. First John 4.10, obviously in 19, says this love, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. And then, and nothing can change my love for you, Romans 8. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, not, uh, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, to not be condemned, Romans 8 again, 1 and 2, so that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Then the statement, never fear anyone or anything. I love this one, Romans, uh, especially this Proverbs. I'll read two of them for you. Romans eight fifteen. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons 
by which we cry out, Abba, Father. John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, I love this one, Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Mm. Then, always trust in me, he says. Always trust in me, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And the message, trust God from the bottom. This is great. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. That's a good scripture right there. Then the statement of because you have nothing to prove. First, First Thessalonians uh, 2, 4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And then he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Second Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Sounds like that's what I'm doing today, doesn't it? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Then Romans 5, 17, for if by the one man's offense, death reigned the one, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And then, and all I have, God said to me, all I have, Dalton, is yours. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and then the same minute, I am always here for you. Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3. I'll just do one. This is God's message. The God who made earth, made it livable and lasting, known everywhere as God. Call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you could never figure out on your own. Then he said, I've given you faith. 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And the final one, what to accomplish his mission. Matthew's gospel, 28, verses 18 and 20. All authority has been given to me in the heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. And then God gave me the acronym MAD, M-A-D, and it stands for this, making authentic disciples. Making authentic disciples. So, I guess I'm teaching you what God's teaching me. And I want you to realize that in this walk you have, you're always gonna have tests, you're always gonna have... God is not testing you. He allowed tests to come so you could find out where you're at, right? It's not the end. It's not the end of the course or the end of the wars, right? It's just a battle. It's a test. But this is how you, this is how David stirred himself up. He'd go back and say, you know, Saul's over here. He's outnumbered me. He's going to kill me and my men. But he'd get along with God and start saying, man, you know, I killed the bear and I killed the lion in my hands. I, I killed the, the giant with one stone. I, I could handle this. I'm God's anointing. See, his, his spirit is in you for your sake and on you for the sake of others. His anointing is in you for your sake, but on you for the sake of others. 